Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is managing editor James Kleiman to talk about the latest news on the merger of Ice and Black Knight, as well as the update by Fannie Mae last week that will fundamentally change the appraisal process. First, here's a word from our sponsor. I'm Diego Sanchez, Chief Operating Officer of HW Media, and I'm here today with Melinda Wilner, who is the Chief Operating Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Melinda, so good to chat with you today. Great to chat with you as well. Thanks for having me. From your perspective, what role does technology play in creating top-notch customer experiences? Yeah, great question. Technology plays a huge role in it. Um, At UWM, we are always searching for the best technology for the borrower and for the broker both. So I think from a borrower perspective, Things have changed a lot. I've been doing this uh, for over 20-some years. And I think back to my early days, there was a lot of in-person stuff. There was fax machines. There was early stuff. There's a lot of people dropping off documents. Like, how cool is it now that you can take a picture of a document with your phone and upload it? Like, e-signing, your initial disclosures. How great is that? I don't have to go see anybody. Virtual closings, amazing. Like, I don't even have to have anybody over my house anymore if I don't want to. So I think technology has given a lot of people in this very fast-moving world some options that make it very convenient for them and very, kind of the coolness factor too. Like, oh my gosh, I just closed a refinance all over some Zoom equivalent virtual thing. That's really cool to to be able to pass on. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you again for having me. Appreciate it. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back. Great to have you back on. You know, last week I was at the um, ICE Experience Conference, so I did some, you know, on-site podcasting from there, but there is so much news I'd love to talk to you about. And one of the biggest issues is exactly the Black Knight ICE, you know, merger deal that's going on and the fact that um, now they've found a buyer for the Empower LOS system. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So it it had been reported by Reuters in February that Black Knight and ICE had agreed to sell uh, Empower, which is, of course, Black Knight's primo LOS, a loan origination system. And they'd been looking for a deal of around $400 million. And the hope was, and it wasn't exactly clear whether this was um, made after discussions with federal regulators or if this was trying to get ahead of a potential lawsuit uh, from antitrust uh, you know legal battles that are probably to come. Uh, But regardless, now we know the major development is that they actually do have a buyer, which is Constellation, which is a Canadian uh, company. They they produce quite a bit of software. Uh, If anyone's seen their founder, he he doesn't talk much in the media. He doesn't go to a lot of conferences, uh, but he looks like he's got this, almost looks like ZZ Top. You know, he's got this like huge, crazy beard, long white hair, sort of like a, like a Gandalf, um, you know, ZZ Top like figure. Uh, anyway, so he is uh, the head of Constellation and they are looking to buy it. Of course, this is a deal that would be contingent on the merger going through. And we have quite a bit of reporting over the last month that authorities from the FTC are going to be filing a lawsuit to stop the merger from happening uh, sometime this month. 
rumors are as early as Thursday uh, that there could be a lawsuit filed. So uh, the fact that this is happening on a Tuesday morning uh, is pretty significant and, and you know, I, I think signals that there is a much bigger fight yet to come. Um, but but it's a big deal. Look, they're, they're selling one of the major pieces to the business, but not by any stretch the biggest piece. So when we talk about LOS systems and power, which is about probably the second biggest in the space for mortgage, but we're talking like a 10 to 15% market share. Significant? Absolutely. Yes. But it is very much overshadowed by Encompass, which is ICE's own LOS system, which is, depending on who you talk to, between 40 and 45% market share. And that would not be part of any deal here. And so um, I, I think it makes it slightly more likely that a deal were to pass um, by by um, you know divesting from Empower. But I don't think FTC regulators are going to look like like, oh, <laughs> this this is now suddenly not a concern that consumers will eventually be saddled with higher costs related to just mortgage originations and, and related ancillary costs creating, um, you know, bigger, uh, bigger price tags for, for consumers. I do think, though, that the LOS is one of the most, it's the easiest to trace, you know what I mean, that that cost of that system or or that um, technology is easier to trace in the cost of the loan than a lot of these other things that might be there. So, you know, I was thinking this is this gives them, you know, a much firmer grand, ground to stand on, which is why they did it, right? I mean, like without that, I think I think they could expect some regulatory pushback, but it feels like this might forestall that. But you're saying you don't think that. I, when you talk to the analysts who cover this, uh, they'll tell you that. Empower and the related businesses account for, you know, maybe 10, 12% of Black Knight's revenue. And it's just not enough to quell the FTC concerns. Um, that said, you know, selling it to a large strategic buyer like Constellation Software, we're talking about a company that has like a $35 billion market cap. They have an existing footprint in mortgage. They're already interested in real estate and data. And the idea that this could be scalable means that there is a potential real competitor. And, and so, yes, by, by that uh, measure, I think it makes it more likely. I don't think it's enough. If let, Let's say they decided to divest with Encompass instead of Empower. Yeah, I mean, that, that radically changes uh, how, how I think anybody would look at the deal. But, I mean, Encompass is a much, much bigger product. It is much broadly much more broadly used. Um, it's one of the main reasons that they're doing the deal in the first place. Sure. Right? So like, why, why would you, why would you part with that? So I, I don't really think that this changes all that much. We also know that ICE is going to um, put up a legal fight if the FTC does in fact uh, try to stop the deal. So I think this does give them, as you said, firmer ground to stand on if, and when there is, a formal lawsuit that they have to, to fight up. This we've been, you know, we've been reporting on this since the beginning and it is just super interesting to see two of the biggest, you know, tech providers in the space 
uh, combining. And, you know, right away we had people who voiced their concern and, uh, you know, government officials, whatever regulators, you know, uh, raising their hand too. So we'll continue to watch that. It is interesting to think like, who are the potential winners and losers here? So for instance, it is interesting that Constellation could be uh, a competitor. Does that make it easier, you know, better for lenders? Do they have some more people to go to? We've also, you know, I, um, there's, there are several, smaller um, LOS providers who see this as an opportunity for them that, you know, in, in the midst of all this confusion or, or not knowing what to do, or, you know, if, if they come in at a, at a lower price point or whatever, they, they do see this moment as an opportunity for them. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity to differentiate yourself. If you are a smaller LOS provider, you know, you can say, Hey, we're not, we're not, you know, this, this massive uh, company that might maybe, give you a deal in year one and then jack up the price in year two, you know, or, or do some sort of, uh, you know, pricing system whereby it's about volume, right. Which is going to disproportionately hurt kind of smaller and more mid-sized lenders. I mean, you, you can definitely uh, see some of these other LOS providers providing a different kind of value to different types of mortgage customers for sure. I, I what, what I often hear is a lot of the same concerns that you hear, about um, when other large software providers or other, I, I guess, argued monopolies start making major moves. I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't more than a few months ago that we heard that uh, some of the, the credit providers were going to be, you know, changing some of the pricing, right, for credit reports. And who does this impact? Well, because it's about volume, right? that's going to impact the smaller and more mid-sized lenders before it does the UWMs and the rockets and, you know, the penny max and, and uh, the, the very big players in this space. And so I think you're probably going to see the same fears borne out. If this deal does come to a head, there are always going to be some competitors, but the argument against a deal like this going through is that I think it also could potentially stifle competition. Are you going to invest you know, tens of millions of dollars to try to achieve one or two or three or four or 5% market share when a company like Black Knight Ice could easily hit 50 without really innovating, without really, you know, making a better product. That's, that's always the question when it comes down to, is this in the public's interest? And, you know, we're at a very interesting time, obviously, in the mortgage industry where volume is so low, and yet the cost to originate a loan has never been higher. So I think we're close to 11000 at this point per loan. And, you know, so much of that is, you know, part of that is technology. Part of that is the, you know, the regulatory hoops you have to jump through, which a lot of times means you have to adopt some different technology to, in order to even be able to be compliant. Um, and one of the questions that people have is like, with all this new technology, why why is the cost to originate still so high? Wasn't that part of the promise of technology that, listen, we're going to automate these things, we're going to make them better, and we're going to make them cheaper? Yeah, well, compliance is still a huge cost, and, and it's it's hard to put a dollar figure on it as well. You know, compliance affects almost every element of operations for a mortgage lender, and compliance costs continue to get more expensive. You know, like, it almost reminds me of kind of general commodities costs. Like you don't expect certain services to ever get cheaper. Right. Um, and so I think they start baking that into their own equations. And I mean, if you're a consumer, you can shop around and you should shop around to try to get the lowest mortgage rate. And 
in doing so, you know, you're, you're going to eventually come up against the cost to originate, which is even for the cheapest mortgage lender out there, still thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? If the average is 11 and let's say your best placed mortgage lender can do it at nine, I'm just throwing out a number. I don't know the exact cost there. Um, sure, that's $2,000, but I mean, you're, you're already going to bake that into, in most cases, a 30-year loan. It just doesn't move the needle that much. You know, if, if we talk about a lot of the promising technologies then being fully implemented and eliminating a lot of the middlemen and a lot of the jobs that are currently in mortgage and in compliance and, you know, all, all of the kind of the ancillary services related to mortgage, sure, maybe you can make a dent in it, but I mean, the big cost is people, right? It's always people and nobody charges less <laughs> than they used to, right? Like mortgages always get more expensive. I, I can't think of a time in 20 years where they've ever been cheaper despite new technology. And that's because it's not about technology apparently at this point, right? You know, the technology is better. I, I don't think it's like worlds and worlds and worlds better. There are still actual lenders out there who do things with pen and paper, right? Which is crazy, right? Um, but, you know, the vast majority... I think provide a pretty good consumer experience in terms of going through, you know, um, a consumer portal, being able to upload documents, being able to do a lot of things digitally that even five years ago, maybe they wouldn't have done. Um, so that's better. The other side of the equation on the lender side, because there's so much to do with compliance. Um, I don't think you've seen as much innovation. I don't think you've seen as many simple touch points and I mean, the likelihood that Fannie, Freddie, the FHFA, the FA, the CFPB, you know, the, the various instruments of the mortgage world are to align and make it radically cheaper, I think is highly unlikely. Maybe you can knock a few percentage points here and there on potentially title insurance, potentially appraisal. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, um, you know, all of these little elements, but at the end of the day, it's also, we're paying people to do these jobs and people need to make more money than they did a year ago, um, because of all kinds of reasons, but it's just, there's, there's no reason to think that this is going to get cheaper. I agree with you. And I also think that, you know, the, the trope of like, um, you know, the founder of a tech company. So I, I started at HousingWire in 2013 and I, I was the, uh, doing a lot of the sponsored content, writing a lot of the content for the people who are the tech providers. So I wrote a lot about them, got to know them. And a very familiar trope is like, here's my origin story. I went to get a, you know, I'm a tech guy. Um, you know, had built all these cool things in the past, went to go get a house, realized it was a terrible experience. I'm going to make a, I'm going to come up with a solution that solves right, my loan of officer this. was a caveman and, and he, right. here I am, you know, <laughs> with, with my, with my iPad and I'm going to, I'm going to forever change the industry. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you had some, and do have some incredibly smart people trying to apply the, you know, their expertise here. What they quickly run into is the giant brick wall of compliance that is just hard to uh, understand until you get into the weeds of it, how much to you, like you said, is baked into absolutely every single part of this. And in some ways that just, even though you can see like, oh, wow, the intent of this maybe was really good, but the execution of this, uh, the, the way that people have to ex execute this means that I'm not sure. Uh, Trid, Trid is a perfect example to me. Trid uh, was something that, you know, turned our inside, our industry out inside out for two, three years 
people had to do this, you know, gymnastics on this huge level, do all these things. Did it, did it make any difference? Have we measured if it made any difference? And it's really hard to see. Do people shop more for mortgages now? Because the whole point was to give them, you know, of course, it's good to disclose what they're going to have to pay and what's coming. But the whole point was to get them the ability to, to shop around for a mortgage. And I just don't think that it, it, you know, for what we had to go through to get there, was it worth it? And I, I do think it's interesting on the other side of, of these regulations, no one ever measures the impact. So did we get what did we get out of that? What, what, what did it cost? And then what did we get? But because it's not a business, right? I mean, the, you know, regulators don't run it as a business. They don't have to talk about ROI or actually if it achieved any of the, you know, any of the objectives that it had at the, at the front end. And so I do think that it, it is just like a huge buzzsaw that, that most technology providers have to run into. And then they've innovated around it for sure. But to your point, I mean, it is pervasive and it is expensive. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of the day, the impetus to innovate is never going to come from government regulators, right? Like that's just not, right. <laughs> it's, it's not in their DNA. And you look at the GSEs, look at Fannie, Freddie, desktop underwriter, DU, for the mortgage industry was revolutionary. In any other industry, they'd be like, oh, that's what he came up with on Thursday? You know? Like, it's <laughs> it's good. It's it's a huge right. improvement over over what what it came, came from, but it's not going to radically change the way mortgages are created or how they're going to cost less. They don't create efficiencies in some respects, maybe more than they used to, but I just don't think it's enough. And there's, and you know, think about how long it took Fannie or Freddie to do anything because of the FHFA. I mean, you, you have to get approval for someone to spell your name correctly. And it takes three weeks, you know, in, in this kind of universe, like it, it takes, how long does it take for us to ever get, you know, somebody to comment on something that isn't like a spokesperson off the record, right? Like there's just, there's this inertia that is, is going to always accompany bureaucracies that are so highly regulated and everybody is kind of living in fear of doing the wrong thing. And so, you know, innovation doesn't typically come from such, such places. Agreed. And, you know, that's a perfect segue into the other topic I wanted to talk about, which was the big, big announcement last week by Fannie Mae that they um, were updating their seller's guide and basically saying there, there is, you know, appraisals are no longer the default option for property valuations. Huge. I mean, reverberations. And people had felt like we were trending that way because uh, the use of appraisal waivers has gone up so much. Um, that it was kind of like during the pandemic, right? I mean, right. every refi was not every, but but I mean, a huge percentage of them. I, I think it really kind of created a new kind of a new paradigm for mortgage. I do too, and I also think that you know, I mean, with the refis, you you've had so many valuations done on a property now, and and they found that they were, you know, um, I guess they found that they were pretty. Uh, accurate or whatever. And then you also had the, you know, compounding of, of during the pandemic, it was so hard to get an appraisal, things backed up, there was a lot of pain points uh, uh, involved with that and a lot of cost. And so this is another thing. So the fact that they made it now there's a new option. So there's always been, you know, you, you have the appraisal, you can have an appraisal waiver, you could have a hybrid appraisal. And now there's this new option that that Fannie listed, which is, um, it's basically an appraisal waiver plus uh uh, property data, but they're they're calling it uh, a value acceptance instead of appraisal waiver, which is really just like let's just hone in on. It's not an appraisal waiver because that means like here's the here's the default appraisal and you got a waiver. And now it's just like no, it's value acceptance plus property 
data that's being collected by third parties, which has been the bane of appraisals existence, appraisers existence for, you know, a couple of years where they're like, well, you know, who are these third party people who are collecting the property? And now it's official. There's a lot of distrust between those two worlds for sure. Absolutely. When I was at the uh, Valuation Expo, which is an appraisal event uh, in the fall, you had a ton of, you know, appraisers uh, venting that these, and this was just the third party, uh, you know, collectors for uh, involved in hybrid, not, not this whole option. And in that, in that situation, the appraisers felt like they were on the hook, that they were liable for whatever data was being collected and they didn't like that. And the lenders present were like, listen, we're taking the the bulk of the liability here. At the end of the day, we're the ones who are on the hook if the investors find out that, you know, if this property doesn't really, isn't really valued at that. But this is a whole different thing. This is like, we're, we're not talking about appraisers are just cut out of, of this part of the equation, which is you could have, um, you know, you could have Real uh, real estate agents do that, and real estate agents right now might might need some some work, depending on if you know, especially if they're new to the industry. It could be anybody that is trained by the uh, that's been professionally trained. But that that term, I I'm doing this on a podcast, so you can't see I'm doing the quotes pro- professionally trained, but by whom and to what standard and what does that mean? So it's it's pretty much out there. It's terrible for appraisers, which which has already been. <sighs> I don't know what the high point for appraisers was, you know, given the demographics of of the industry. It's it's not a field where you have a lot of new blood coming in. You've had a lot of change over the last few years. I, I think the pandemic really totally changed how uh, lenders and the GSEs look at the the role of appraisers in in the valuation system. And and as you said, you know, going from default to what is even your job in five years? Will it exist? If, if Fannie Mae is saying we're going to make a concerted effort to change the notion that we even need an appraiser to go to that house, determine the square footage, determine the bedroom count, determine, you know, whatever it is, you know, makes that house $500,000 and instead say we're going to have the real estate agent, you know, from a few towns over go in there. She's been trained you know, she took a two-week pilot program, whatever. We're going to have her do it, and then we're going to back it up into, say, CoreLogic or you know what, whatever any any of the number, you know, Clear Capital, whomever, right? And it makes you think: Will there be appraisers in five years after Fannie starts the process? Because Freddie is soon to follow, right? And then you could absolutely see the idea of uh, you know maybe the government loan. Uh, kind of subset getting in on that as well. They've already made moves to to accept more hybrid appraisals, desktop appraisals, waivers in that space as well, right? And VA and NFHA lending. And so um, I think this might be the strongest signal yet that the appraiser as we know it is an endangered species. I absolutely agree, especially because uh, now this value acceptance, which used to be called appraisal waiver, um, the value acceptance plus property data receives automatic value certainty with rep and warranty relief. So um, that's a game changer, right? It used to be a traditional appraisal hybrid or desktop options got value certainty and rep and warrant relief, but based on collateral underwriter scores. So this is like um, they're upping that and they're also implementing new standards. So up till now, there there haven't been... Not that there are no standards for appraisals, but this is now um, a, a baked in 
standardization because you have like a rubric. It's a rubric yeah. because you're you that that property data that's being collected, it has to be uploaded to Fannie Mae's API, connected through their API, and it has certain things it's looking for. And so you can only do that if, for instance, you're doing um, the internal scan for floor plans. And that's not been something that's been universal up till now. Well, because floor plans are, <laughs> you know, certainly not a universal truism in, in appraisal anyway, right? So it's, it's um, yeah, it's it's a huge, huge development. I, I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten more attention, actually. Um, I think it's it's very consequential. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what the training looks like, what the standardization looks like. You know, I mean, a four-bed, two-bath colonial in some parts of, in, in a single town in America could look you know, radically different from one six blocks away and be valued totally differently. You know, one of one of the arguments in favor of, um, you know, turning to more of a kind of a digitized process is you eliminate all human biases from this process. Um, I don't know if we're quite there yet or how far away we are in terms of synthesizing the technology. Um, but I do think that this will, will certainly get us closer to understanding um, you know, how baked in some of these claims are, right? So it's it's going to be pretty interesting for a lot of the housing uh, equity groups to track, I think. You know, that's another part of this. We, we know that the government has not done a great job by their own account of monitoring and, and enforcing redlining issues, right? Too soon to say how this changes things on that front, but it will. If if you're removing appraisers from, you know, X percentage of the equation, it will definitely change how the data is is collected and collated. You know, one thing that I need to dig into is where comps come into this because um, definitely, you know, so Fannie Mae's website says, you know, this new option reduces cycle times and may reduce borrower costs, promotes safety and soundness by obtaining a current observation of the subject property and provides operational simplicity and certainty at time of loan application. So I can see a lot of, um, you know, benefits there potentially for um, like, like uh, Keenan Chen of um, Clear Capital told me last week when I was talking to him about this, he was like, the fact that the the borrower now has that certainty when the valuation is done there, if you do it this way, then there is no, like, I have to wait around and see, is the appraisal going to come back for this amount? Is, you know, you know, do I have to come up with more cash? What's happening? And so that certainty is really important too. But also I'm like, what does this do from an equity? If if you think about that, there they didn't say anything about fairness in there. Um, I, I know that fairness is hugely important to Fannie, and that you know um, racial bias and getting getting the right equity here is really important. But um, I'm not sure how this how this maybe addresses that. So there's lots of further I think reporting that we want to do, yeah. um, and talking to people about you know fleshing this out. What is this going to look like, and how does this um, serve some of those other goals as well? Because obviously we know they they mentioned in there they think it reduces time, cost, it gives certainty. It's definitely better for the lender in some ways. Big winners, I would think, uh, the tech companies um, that handle you know appraisal tech companies, big winners here. Yeah, the big loser, of course, the appraisers themselves. And they, yep. they've already been fighting an uphill battle for years. And and what's also interesting is a lot of uh, appraisers and their kind of, you know, three-man shops, five-man shops, whatever, they're getting scooped up. They're consolidating. It's a lot of the same, uh, you know, kind of consolidation that we see in the title insurance industry, which is another that is kind of under threat to some degree from, you know, other, other players, um, 
and and we know that there are some big mortgage lenders that are interested in looking at how you know the the title insurance industry plays a role in um you know guaranteeing home ownership in this country so um i think we're going to see a very 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 significant change in the next probably 3 years but until then you're going to see appraisers fight this tooth and nail. I think they're going to be complaining. They're going to be potentially filing lawsuits. They're going to try to kick up a lot of dust uh, to, to try to at least prevent what almost at this point feels like the inevitable. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I also think that it, when you look toward the future of appraising as a profession, I think it's going to necessarily get smaller, which is not necessarily great for them because, I mean, I know that one of the challenges they've already had is like bringing people into the profession, something that takes uh, up until very recently and in, in some in some areas, like you have to apprentice an appraiser yeah. during which time you're, you know, who's getting paid there? Who's, who's paying that salary out? And in this kind of low volume, what does that look like? So you can imagine that in, in the future, appraising might be a smaller group of people who are very specialized. It's all those, you know, really niche kind of homes. Um, but hard, hard to recruit into a profession that you can clearly see is gonna, is gonna have to shrink. Or maybe diversify, take up industrial, commercial. That's true. You know, I mean, there could be a lot of adaptive reuse given all of the larger changes that the American workforce is going through, right? I mean, just the idea of the the large office in in every office market in every city in America may not be sustainable. And the commercial, uh, you know, real estate industry is taking it on the chin as well. And so, you know, I, I know a guy in New Jersey who um, he does a lot of appraisals for residential properties, but his big thing is commercial because it pays better. And right. in most ways, it's easier to compare, right? Because you don't have so many varieties of developers and different styles and, and small changes that'll you know radically alter the value of a property. And so in some ways, it's it's kind of easier to compare apples and apples, whereas, you know, go to go to Princeton, New Jersey and try to compare a six bedroom, four bath, you know, Georgian, you know, with a five bed, three bath, uh, you know, center hall colonial with, you know, a different school district that's still high competing. It's just, you know, maybe one has a pool, maybe the other doesn't. It's, there's just a lot more variety in residential, right? There are a lot more people that need homes and people need offices. So um, that, that might be one or, Maybe some of these tech companies buy out actual appraisal firms and incorporate them into the process, which will probably depress some of their their you know earning power. But it's a job, right? I mean, it's it's different than having to totally reinvent yourself and come up with a new career if you're in your fifties or sixties. I mean, that that seems daunting. So probably not a lot of great choices for appraisers in the next few years. You know, some may decide that this is the time to to you know, absolutely hang up their cleats. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to, <laughs> it's tough. And we also have to keep in mind right now, when, when we talk about a very low inventory environment with low sales and I think mortgage apps last week were at their lowest point in like what 28 or 29 years, something like that. Yep. I mean, completely crazy. Right. So, you know, who's also not getting paid. It's not just the real estate agents. It's not the loan officers. It's not just the mortgage companies. The appraisers aren't getting paid if they're not appraising houses. And if you're not 
trying to sell, you know, you could very easily see, given the rate lockdown effect, maybe sticking around for a few years, um, a very depressed environment for appraisers to work in on top of the other, you know, larger macro issues they have to deal with. So really, really difficult time, undoubtedly the big losers in, in, you know, all of this. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be doing uh, more reporting on this, digging into all the different uh, facets of this and all, all of the implications. So James, thanks for joining me today. And thanks for bringing us up to speed. Cool. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.